chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and uh, we'll get some house lights up here in just a moment. And uh, this morning, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and uh, you can use that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you, and so you can take that Bible home. But Matthew 27 is where we're going to be, and we're starting a new series of messages this morning that we're calling Place of the Skull. Place of the Skull. The place where Jesus was crucified is a place that the Bible tells us is called Golgotha. And this word means place of the skull. And several years ago, Katie and I were in Israel and we went to this place known as Golgotha. And you can see in the hillside that it resembles a skull. And so uh, we know that in the Greek, uh, this word skull is cranion, where we get our word cranium. In the Latin, it's simply this, Calvary. And so it's here at this place of the skull, Calvary, where Jesus Christ bled and died for the sins of humanity. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection and we're going to celebrate big. We have four different services that you can choose from on Easter Sunday. But I believe that it's appropriate for us over the next several weeks to prepare our hearts and to consider the events that led to the resurrection. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to center in on this place of the skull. We're going to see the events that led up to it and the events that surrounded this place. And today, we're going to be in Matthew 27. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Let's pick it up in verse number 11. Most of the verses should be on the screen today, but if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to keep it open and follow along. Matthew 27, verse number 11. And Jesus stood before the governor... And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearst thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they delivered him. Verse 19. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And we'll continue reading in a moment, but I want to encourage you to skip down to verse number 32 for a moment. It says this, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. We'll talk about him more next week. Him they compelled to bear his cross, verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. Today, for a few minutes this morning, I want to speak to this subject. The choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning and the fact that we can come together on a weekly basis and worship you and sing praises unto you. God, we know that you alone are worthy and you alone deserve the glory. 
And God, for a few minutes today, as we look to this text in Matthew chapter 27, God, I pray that our hearts would be open. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred. God, I pray that we would not be desensitized to the cross. God, I pray that we would remember this place of the skull and what happened at this place. And God, I pray that this would motivate us from a place of love to serve you at a greater level. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. And God, I pray that you would get all the glory from it. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, a couple of weeks ago, we were at home and our kids had finished all their homework and they had kind of cleaned up around the house. They did their chores. And so Katie and I decided, let's go ahead and reward them and treat them. Let's go get some ice cream. And so uh, Katie said, let's go to Dairy Queen. And I said, great. So we all got in the car and And I typed it in the maps. I typed in Dairy Queen, and Dairy Queen was 10 minutes from our house. And I thought, I wonder if Sonic is a little bit closer than Dairy Queen. So I typed that in, and Sonic was nine minutes from our house. And so I thought, hey, perfect. We'll save one minute, and uh, we'll go to Sonic. And after all, Sonic ice cream and Dairy Queen ice cream, you know, it's all the same. How wrong I was in that moment. Because Katie was quick to correct and to confront that uh, decision and to adequately train uh, to me how Dairy Queen is far superior than Sonic ice cream. And uh, that is a decision that I now have come to regret. And today I stand before you as a humbled and corrected man that I made the wrong choice that day in going to Sonic. You know, the truth is some decisions in life are inconsequential. In the grand scheme of things, where you get ice cream, that's first world problems, right? And uh, some decisions and choices that we make are inconsequential. But how many of you know that there are certain decisions in life that carry with it great ramifications? Who you marry, where you live, where you go to church, where you uh, raise your children, uh, what career path you choose. All of these decisions require biblical guidance and counsel and much prayer. Thankfully, uh, the Bible tells us that when we are making these decisions, that God will guide us and he will direct us in the path that he wants for us. I love this uh, verse in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 30, verse 21 says this, in thine eye, thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, and so in other words, when we are tuned into the voice of God through the word of God, he will guide us and direct us in the path that he has for us. And I'm thankful today that we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. I'm thankful that we have the word of God today that can guide us into truth. I'm thankful for the local church and the accountability within the local church that can help guide us and steer us in the right direction. How many of you are thankful for the word of God for the Holy Spirit, for the local church that can help us when it comes to making these decisions. We come to Matthew chapter 27, and this man named Pontius Pilate is struggling to make a decision, struggling to make a choice. And this was not a minor choice. This was not an insignificant choice. In fact, this is perhaps the most monumental decision ever rendered upon earth. A big decision. What would he do with Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Now, that decision is a decision that every human being will have to make. What will we do with Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Now, Pilate, he really kind of surprises us on the pages of Scripture because up until this point in the book of Matthew, Pilate is nowhere mentioned. We know through other historical documents that that Pilate was the uh, Roman procurator, the Roman governor of Judea. Uh, Pilate was not initially from Rome. In fact, he was born in Spain. But at an early age, he joined the Roman army, and he worked his way all the way to the top. And Pilate is presented with Jesus Christ, and he has to make a decision 
What will he do? And ultimately, the decision for Pilate was, am I going to honor Christ or am I going to honor Caesar? And so he had this struggle that he was facing on the inside. What would he do with Jesus? The Bible says this in John 19, verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. Uh, Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. He, he, he found uh, no fault in this man. He wanted to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if thou let this man go, Thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And so we know ultimately, uh, you know the narrative. Uh, Pilate would go on and he would choose to honor Caesar and he would reject Jesus. It was, it, it was a decision uh, that would be forever etched into the pages of history. In fact, many of the early churches, early creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, mention specifically Pilate by name, saying that Jesus suffered under the hand of Pilate. And today, I believe that this is not a decision that we can afford to overlook. The cross is not something that we today in 2022 can overlook. The the cross is something that deserves our attention, that we should live a cross-centered life. In fact, uh, one uh, author, Oswald Chambers, he said this, All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. And so today, I want us to zero in on the cross. I want us to look at this decision that Pilate was weighing and ultimately the decision that the people that day were weighing. And I want us to see uh, four questions from the cross today. If you're taking notes, I want to give us four choices, uh, four questions uh, at the place of the skull. Number one is this, will I listen to the warnings? Will I listen to the warnings? Now, if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to keep it open. We're going to work our way through this text verse by verse. Notice verse number 11. Everybody with me today? Anybody else with me today? Verse number 11. And Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor, this is Pilate, asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. In other words, Jesus affirmed the question. Pilate said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, You said it. In other words, he says, Yes, I am. He affirms uh, who he is, that he is the king of the Jews, that he is the king of kings. Now, it was this very confession, this very statement, that when Paul later on would write to a young pastor, Timothy, that Paul would remind Timothy of this confession. Why? To encourage him. In fact, it says this in 1 Timothy 6.13, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. He makes all things alive. That is why this morning we can see the seeing the dead will live again because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And Paul was telling, telling Timothy, he quickeneth all things. He makes all things alive. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. And so Paul was trying to encourage a young pastor, Timothy, and he was saying, hey, just like Jesus Christ made that good confession, uh, confessing that he is the Lord of Lords and that he is the King of Kings, that is what should encourage us in the day of adversity. Paul was saying, Timothy, you want to be encouraged? Remember that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just another prophet. He's not just an enlightened individual. This is God in the flesh. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is nothing too hard for him. And so Pilate was standing and looking at Jesus. Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus responds with a great affirmation. Thou sayest, you said it. Let's keep reading. Verse number 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against you? This was, this was something that astounded Pilate. Verse 14. And he answered him, Never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate was used to criminals begging for their lives. 
he was used to those criminals getting very defensive and trying to plead for their case and trying to make a case for freedom. He was used to people being defensive, and he was used to people crying out, defending themselves. But Jesus answered him not a word. This is something that Pilate couldn't understand. Why is he not defending himself? By the way, the silence of God is often his loudest rebuke. Jesus stood in silence, all the while fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So here's Pilate. He is just astounded that Jesus is not defending himself. Jesus is silent, fulfilling prophecy. Let's keep reading. Notice verse number 15. Says this. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Now we're going to come back to that. So if you want, put a little mental bracket around verses 15 through 18. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. But let's keep reading and we'll come to verse number 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, Sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? In other words, this righteous man. Don't don't get caught up in this, Pilate. He's a just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, if you were here at all during our Joseph study, we talked a lot about dreams, right? And uh, Joseph dreamed a dream, and God was speaking to him through that dream. And uh, today, in our culture, dreams don't carry the same weight. I recently read a book about space exploration, and so the last several nights I've been dreaming about space and that Katie's been going to space. I do not believe that God is calling me to be an astronaut. Uh, That's just a dream uh, that I've been having uh, recently. And so when we dream, we can kind of carry it with uh, a grain of salt. But in ancient culture, dreams were viewed much differently. In fact, in the book of Matthew, every dream recorded up until this point was a dream given by God. And so... When Pilate's wife comes to him and says, I had this dream, it wasn't just because she ate something weird that the night before. Uh, no, there was something deeper that was going on here. And she comes to Pilate and she says, Pilate, I had this dream. He is a just man. He's a righteous man. Don't get caught up in this. In fact, uh, many early history uh, commentators and churches, they believe that Pilate's wife went on to put her faith in Jesus The the Coptic Orthodox Church uh, venerated her as a saint, saying that she uh, became a Christian, putting her faith in Jesus. We don't know this to be true, uh, or we cannot verify this, but, but here she recognized something. She recognized this is a just, righteous person, the only person that came to Jesus' defense when he was on trial. Pilate's wife, don't do this. And what was Pilate experiencing in this moment? A warning. A warning. You know, Pilate was warned of his wife. Pilate was also warned by his own conscience. If you read the narrative, how many times did Pilate say, man, uh, I cannot find fault in him. There's no fault in him. What did he do wrong? Pilate was constantly being warned by his own conscience. Did you know that God has given all of us the gift of conscience? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, uh, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And so God has revealed Himself through creation, but God has also revealed Himself through our conscience. And conscience is a gift that God can use to steer us in the right direction. And so here's what I want you to see: Pilate is being warned by his wife. 
Don't do this. He's righteous. He's a just man. Pilate is being warned by his conscience. Pilate is even being warned by Jesus. Jesus affirmed who he was. He's the king of kings. He is the king of the Jews. And yet Pilate chose to ignore the warnings. I wonder in your life, how do you treat the warnings that God puts in your path? How do you respond to admonition and correction? How do you respond when God puts up a warning sign when you don't have a peace to move forward? Are you earnest in getting counsel? Or is your idea of getting counsel just going and telling someone what you're going to do already anyways, your mind is already made up, and you just want to vent to someone? Are we good at receiving counsel? Are we listening to our conscience? Uh, how do we respond when God puts up a warning sign in your life? Hey, uh, I'd be careful moving forward. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. Beware. Everybody say beware. Warning sign. Uh, beware, lest any man spoil you. Uh, that, that is a strong word. It means to corrupt you, to defile you through philosophy and vain deceit. And by the way, if you're paying attention at all in culture today, there's a whole lot of worldly philosophy that is being infiltrated into our society. A whole lot of man-made constructed ideas through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so I want to encourage you. When God does not give you a peace, when God puts up a warning sign in your life, don't barge through. Be humble, be patient, and pray, and seek and get counsel. Here, Pilate was warned time and time again, but he barged through anyways. And so question number one is, will I listen to the warnings? Here's question number two today. You ready for number two? Question number two is this, will I cave to the pressure? Will I cave to the pressure? How many of you know that being a follower of Jesus in 2022, we are going to experience increasingly more and more pressure to conform to the world? You recognize that today? We're going to experience a great amount of pressure. I want you to see it uh, in our text uh, here, starting in verse number 20. It says this, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And so in other words, I want you to picture the scene. Pilate, he's, he's turning, he's looking this way, he's talking to his wife, and, and she's saying, hey, uh, he's a just man, he's a righteous man. And so Pilate's looking this way. While Pilate's looking this way, talking to his wife, uh, the chief priests and the elders and the leaders, they are stirring up the crowd behind him. They're intensifying the pressure. Uh, they're saying, hey, you need to let Barabbas go. You need to make sure uh, that you choose Barabbas. Don't choose Jesus. Choose Barabbas. The pressure was intensified. I remember when Katie and I first got married, we desperately needed a couch. And uh, someone had given us a couch, and it was the most uncomfortable couch that I've ever sat in in my entire life. Literally, we would just sit on the floor in front of the couch and just kind of lean back on it. And uh, so finally, we said, after a couple months of being married, we need to buy a couch. And so we went to Ashley Furniture, and uh, we just had a little bit of money saved up, and we thought, okay, we're going to get a couch. And we walked in there, and a sales associate kind of buzzed on over to us, and how can I help you? Do you need anything? And hey, let me show you. And, uh, and I said, we're just looking for a couch. And he said, well, we've got a great deal right now you can get a whole living room set. And so he took us over, and uh, he started to show us that, that not only could we get a couch, we could get a, get a love seat and a coffee table and an end table and a lamp and, and all of these things. It was a 14-piece living room set, and he was putting the pressure on. He was convincing us that this is what we needed, and Kate and I were just like, wow, you know, okay, this is kind of nice. And Meanwhile, we had a one-bedroom apartment. None of this stuff was even going to fit in the house, and, uh, and uh, we had uh, the paperwork in our hands. Gave us the paperwork, and Kate and I were just looking at each other. And right before we were about to sign, I looked at Kate and I thought, what are we doing? And, uh, and I'm thankful to say that we uh, gave him back the paperwork, and we did not buy the 14-piece living room set. Uh, but the pressure was intensified. 
And uh, so often in life, as we seek to stand for Jesus, as we seek to follow the will that God has for us, uh, the enemy is going to intensify the pressure against us. And the question that we have to answer is, am I going to cave against the pressure? And so while Pilate is talking to his wife, uh, the pressure is being intensified with the people. The pressure is on, and Pilate's going to feel it in a very real way. Let's pick it up in verse number 21. Everybody still with me? Verse 21. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? He says, Which one of these two do you want? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Now, we are familiar with the story, and so that might not come as a surprise to you. But to automatically, for a Jewish person, to jump to a crucifixion was a horrible decision. They didn't say get rid of him. They didn't even say put him to death. They said, we want the worst form of punishment on him. Crucify him. The pressure is intensified. Verse 23, and the governor said, Pilate said, why? What evil hath he done? You can, you can just see the confliction within Pilate. Why? He hasn't done anything. But they cried out the more. The pressure intensified. They cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. And so what would Pilate do? Would Pilate do the just job as a judge and make the right decision? Would he listen to the warnings or would he cave to the pressure? Let's keep reading verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, when he saw, I'm not going to win this crowd over, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Watch this. See ye to it. In other words, Pilate made his decision. Crucify him. Pilate washes his hands, hoping to find some sort of cleansing in his conscience that I'm innocent of this man's blood. Uh, But the Bible says this in Proverbs 30, verse number 12. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Or to paraphrase Macbeth that said, all of the water in the world cannot cleanse the blood of a guilty man's hands. Pilate could wash his hands, but that did not remove the guilt of the decision and the responsibility and the weight of that decision. So Pilate says, I'm going to wash my hands. I am not going to be held responsible for this. Now, Pilate caved to the pressure. Here's what I want you to see because I believe there's great application for us today and there's great practicality in this for us today. As the world intensifies the pressure, you have a decision to make. Will you acquiesce to the constant pressure of the culture or will you stand strong on what the Bible teaches? In other words, you can either build your life based on external pressure or you can build your life based on internal principle. The choice is up to you. You can build your life on the ever-changing state of culture and the constant pressure that you're going to feel from social media, uh, from celebrity culture, uh, from relatives, from people that don't know God, the constant voices that are in your life, the constant pressure that you're going to feel. You can base your decisions on the external pressure or you can base your decisions on internal principle that is governed by the word of God. And what we need desperately today is some Christians and some followers of Jesus that would say, you know what? It's not about all the outside voices coming in. It's about the word of God and the voice of God. It's about the internal principles that I'm going to hold on to. We have enough Christians that are acquiescing to the culture. We need some followers of Jesus that will stand strong in the truth of God's word. 
And you have to be willing to answer that question honestly. Will I cave to the pressure? Because you might be labeled intolerant. You might be labeled old-fashioned. If you don't bow down to the culture's constant changing ideas of gender ideology and sexual immorality, if you don't cave to that, if you don't bow down to that, you're going to be labeled a bigot. You're going to be labeled intolerant. You're going to be labeled old-fashioned. But we have to say, you know what? Am I basing my decisions on the pressure or the principles of God's word? So here's Pilate. Principally, he knew this to be wrong, but the pressure was too great. When he saw that, I can't win over the crowd. And so he's, he's... facing the pressure of the crowd. But, you know, Pilate also had the pressure, not only of the crowd, Pilate had the pressure of compromise. I want you to see it in the text. Notice verse number 25. It says this, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a tragic, horrible statement. While Pilate washed his hands, the people willingly dirtied theirs. Let it be on us. We'll take the blame. We'll take the responsibility. Ironically, later on in the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, uh, it says this, saying, didn't we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And watch this, watch this phrase. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Later on, they didn't want the responsibility. Don't try to put this on us. When at the place of the skull, they were saying, we'll take the responsibility. His blood will be upon us and upon our children. But later on, they didn't want anything to do with that. Then notice verse number 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, scourging was an absolute grotesque and horrific practice. This morning, we don't need to dive too deep into every detail, but essentially the scourging process was They would tie the hands of a man to a pole. They would expose his back. They would take a long leather whip. At the end of the whip, they would attach sharp glass and metal and thorns. And they would throw that whip and attach it to where it wrapped around a man's body and then pull that as hard as they possibly could, ripping the flesh and the skin off of a man. And so Pilate releases Jesus to be scourged. Flog him, whip him chastise him. Now, I think it's so interesting because elsewhere in the parallel gospels, we see a little bit of a glimpse and a snapshot into Pilate's mind, what he was thinking when this happened. You ever thought about that? When Pilate said, okay, take him, he can be scourged. What was he thinking? Well, the Bible tells us, and I want us to see if you, if you can, if the verse is on the screen today, notice what it says in Luke chapter 23, verse 16. Pilate said, I will therefore chastise him and release him. And so when the people were saying, crucify him, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Pilate said, okay, he can go out and be scourged. In his mind, he was thinking, once they see that Jesus is bleeding, once they see the pain, then they will be satisfied, and then I'll release him. In other words, Pilate was willing to make a compromise. In his mind, he thought, I can't crucify this man. He's done nothing wrong. But maybe if I have him beaten... They will be satisfied with seeing his blood. But the people weren't satisfied with seeing his blood. They would only be satisfied in death. So Pilate was trying to make a compromise here. I will beat him. I will uh, flog him. And then I'll have him released. Arthur Pink said this. Pilate hoped that when he should present to the gaze of the Jews their suffering and bleeding king, their rage would be appeased. But that was a great miscalculation by Pilate. 
And so here's Pilate. There's such an interesting contrast here between Pilate and between Jesus. Pilate was so concentrated on saving his career while Jesus was interested in saving the world. Pilate was interested in Caesar. Pilate was interested in self. And Jesus was interested in the sins of humanity and dying for them. But Pilate, he caved to the pressure. And this leads us to our third question today. Number three is this. Will I consider God's love? We all have a choice to make. Are we going to pause and truly contemplate and consider the love of God? And we see a picture of God's love in the following verses. Notice verse number 27. Everybody see verse 27? Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. Now, historically, a Roman band of soldiers could have been anywhere between 400 and 600 people. And so this was not just a small group of soldiers. This was hundreds of soldiers. They're leading Jesus now to the common hall. As you study the Gospels, this place is given different names. Sometimes it's called uh, the Praetorium. Sometimes it's called the Judgment Hall. Sometimes it's called uh, Gabbatha, which means place of the pavement. And this was essentially an outdoor uh, setting. It was an enclosed setting, but exposed uh, roof. And so it was kind of an outdoor type setting. And that's where uh, Pilate released Jesus to go. And notice what happens there when, they're, when they go to the common hall, the praetorium, verse number 28. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And so they stripped him, meaning to mock him, to shame him, to expose him, putting on a scarlet robe. Uh, Warren Wiersbe talks about this. He, he says it would be more likely that this was a discarded Roman military uniform, again, to mock him. And they put this upon Jesus. And then notice what it says in verse 28, verse 29. And when they had plated a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. Again, this was all a show. This was all uh, a play of mockery towards Jesus, uh, giving him uh, this, this robe, this, this reed. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They looked, they took the robe off from him, which would have been incredibly painful. Remember, Jesus was bleeding, had open wounds on his back and on his chest. And they put that uh, perhaps Roman um, uh, discarded military uniform and then ripped it right back off of him. And put on his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. And I just want us to pause for a moment today and to think about the suffering of Jesus even before the cross. Long before Jesus hung on a tree, they scourged him. They punched him in the face. They beat him. They stripped him of his clothes. They tortured him. Why did Jesus do this? For the love of humanity. Jesus knew that this would happen. In Matthew chapter 20, Seven chapters earlier, it says this, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. In other words, none of this took Jesus by surprise. Because even in this moment where Jesus could have looked weak from an outward perspective, Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. He voluntarily endured the contradiction of sinners for you and for me. He was always in control. He knew this was the plan from the foundation of the world that he would die for the sins of humanity. 
Why? Because he loves us. And please hear me today. The next time the devil jumps on your back and says that you are not good enough, that nobody loves you, that nobody cares about you, and that you don't have great value, and the next time you are discouraged thinking, man, I'm not worth anything and I'm not good enough, just consider the love of Jesus displayed at the place of the skull. Think about how much Jesus loves you to endure that kind of pain for you and for me. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What an amazing love that he voluntarily endured this kind of pain for us. This is the greatest example of love the world has ever seen. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 5. And he was wounded, but why? For our transgressions. He was bruised, but why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And so the question is, will we consider God's love. You know, Amy Carmichael, she talked about uh, how life will be dramatically different if we were to pause and to consider God's love. Really, the cross, this place of the skull, it puts things in perspective. And Amy Carmichael talked about how uh, it'll kind of change our perspective. She said this, if I am perturbed by the reproach and misunderstanding that may follow action taken for the good of souls for whom I must give an account, if I cannot commit the matter and go on in peace and in silence, remembering Gethsemane and the cross then I know nothing of Calvary's love. In other words, what she was saying is, if I can't move on from the minor offenses in life and the hostility and, and uh, the adversity that I face, then I don't truly know of Calvary's love. Because when you consider the cross and when you consider how much Jesus loves us and that person that bothers you, how much Jesus loves that person, it really puts things into perspective. How much God loves people. And this leads us to our last and final thought today. Do you have one more question in you today? The final question is this, will I choose Jesus? Now, before you think that you already have the answer to that question, I would encourage you to bear with me for a moment as we dive deeper into scripture this morning. Would that be okay if we just dive a little bit deeper? Will I choose Jesus? Notice verse number 15. I said we would come back to verse 15 through 18. Now let's go back to it. Everybody with me? Verse 15. It says this. Now, at that feast, the governor... Pilate was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. Now, this was a custom that they had. This was kind of during the Passover week, they had this kind of custom get out of jail free card. They would release one prisoner to the people. And so Pilate thought, this is another way out. This is another way that I can uh, uh, have released someone else. And so that way I'm not guilty of, of the blood of Jesus. Notice verse 16. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. A notable prisoner. He was well-known. Many believe that his father was perhaps entangled in the religious community, and now we see that he's a notable prisoner. The other Gospels tells us that he was an insurrectionist, he was a rebel, he was a murderer, he was an evil, bad man, and everyone knew about Barabbas. He was a notable prisoner. Verse 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Who do you want me to let go? Barabbas, or Jesus, watch this, which is called Christ, as if to differentiate from another Jesus. Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus that is called Christ? Did you know that Barabbas is actually not even his name? Barabbas is a title. Bar, meaning son of. Abbas, meaning father. 
the, the title Barabbas means son of a father. Father was a common distinguished title for a distinguished rabbi or teacher. They would call him father. And so he was a son of a distinguished father. Furthermore, in many of the ancient manuscripts, we see that the name Jesus is actually put right before Barabbas. One commentator, William Barclay, said this. Jesus was a common name. It is the same name as Joshua, and the dramatic shout of the crowd was most likely not Jesus Christ, but Jesus Barabbas. And so in other words, Pilate stood before the people and he says, who do you want? Barabbas, son of a father, or Jesus, son of the father? Jesus, Barabbas, or Jesus the Christ? Which one do you want? And the people shouted, give us Barabbas. Give us Jesus Barabbas. Why? Because that was a Jesus they were comfortable with. That was a Jesus they could control. So many people today are choosing a version of Jesus that they are comfortable with. A version of Jesus that they can control. Muhammad had a version of Jesus. Joseph Smith had a version of Jesus. Even South Park and The Simpsons have a version of Jesus. Many people are trying to conjure up a Jesus that they're comfortable with, that they can control, a Jesus that doesn't talk about holiness, a Jesus that doesn't talk about any sort of convictions in life. And we're choosing a version of Jesus that just makes us comfortable. But today we have to recognize that there is only one true Jesus Christ of Nazareth revealed in the New Testament. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord of Lords. And so today I'm asking the question, will you choose Jesus for salvation? But will you choose the way of Jesus? We can't say that we're followers of Jesus if we neglect his word. We can't say that we choose Jesus and then live however it is that we want and worship a version of Jesus that just makes us comfortable really making God into our image. So Pilate says, who do you want? Barabbas, son of a father. Jesus, son of the father. And they said, give us Barabbas, which makes Barabbas the first person who ever lived because Jesus died. And in this we have the essence of salvation. We have the essence of the cross, the place of the skull, that Jesus died so that you could live. Jesus died so that we could live. And this is why this question has profound, profound ramifications for every human being that has ever lived. Will we choose Jesus, the Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The choice it's up to us. What will we choose? You know, in Mark chapter number 10, there's this story as we close today where Jesus is actually making his, uh, uh, about to make his entry into Jerusalem and he's walking up. It's almost Passover week and he sees some blind men on the side of the road. One of the blind men that day was named Bartimaeus. And Jesus goes and Bartimaeus cries out and he says, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus turns to him and Jesus uh, heals him. He restores his sight. But it's what happened next that I believe is so profound. We see the miraculous. We see the amazing miracle of restoring sight, but I want you to see it in Mark chapter 10, verse number 52, it says this. And as I read this verse, would you join me in standing today? Mark chapter 10, 
Verse number 52. And Jesus said unto him, everybody with me this morning? Don't miss it. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Do whatever you want. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. Watch this. And he followed Jesus in the way. And so here it is. The blind man's given his sight. Jesus says, hey, thy faith has made you whole. Now you are a free person. You can go and you can do whatever it is that you want. You can see now. You can go and start a family. You can go and start a business. You can go and start a career. Go your way. Do whatever it is that you want, Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus said, the only thing that I can possibly do is follow you. Jesus says, go whatever way you want. And it says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way. In other words, he says, it's not about what I want to do. The only thing that makes sense in my life is to follow you. The choice that I'm going to make, Bartimaeus said, is to follow Jesus. Today, I want us to all pause over the next few minutes and to consider God's love displayed in this moment as he's led to be crucified. Will you listen to the warnings today? Will you cave to the pressure of culture? Will you consider God's love? But ultimately, the most important question that any of us could ever answer is will you choose Jesus? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.